the film series that won't die. Over 40 movies, one house, actually several houses, and cursed artifacts. If there's even that much of a connection. Welcome back to the Amityville Horror Podcast. I am Tom. I'm Pat. This week, it is Amityville Emmanuel. Um... So, had we not already watched Amityville Vibrator, this would have been the one that, like, maybe this is going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. The two of you watching, well, we didn't think the other one was going to be softcore. Yes, we did. Well, yeah. it was, you read somewhere that it was softcore. Yeah. Um, uh, apparently, yeah, from the makers, they claimed it was softcore. <laughs> There's no shit play in this movie at all. I don't know what yeah, you're complaining yeah. about. But, um, yeah. They, they need to look that up. And we needed to look up the history of the Emmanuel films, and we didn't. I mean, I looked up a little bit, but it's like there's, like, what, conservatively 60 different Emmanuel films amongst, like, four or five different series. There's, like, Emmanuel with two M's, Emmanuel with one M, Emmanuel in space, Black Emmanuel. Oh, uh, I forgot it. Yeah, yeah. All these things. Um, the, the original main series was, like, seven movies uh, five of which had Sylvia Crystal as right. the titular, in every sense of the word, Emmanuel. Yeah, those were the ones. They were just launched as, like, softcore erotic films to, mm-hmm. you know, play to more prurient crowds, but also not be the full-on, uh, like, Devil and Mrs. Jones and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, when porn was legitimately selling out movie theaters. I mean... You know, who, there was a time. There was a time. I, yeah. I still, I, I, I get bummed when there's no nudity or sexy times in a movie because it's like it's a, it's not required, but it's like, hey, here's like also boobs. Hmm. There's there's things you can put in movies that you don't see in everyday life, just walking down the street. Um, a lot of, I mean, same thing goes for a lot of action set pieces and violence in films yeah. and all that. You don't see it every day, and here are people doing it professionally in a very ideally aesthetic way as part of our entertainment neat let's all see things we don't get to see at work when we go home and throw something on tubi or put it to put it more succinctly hey why don't you do your movie the driving way also true yeah and i'm pretty sure that this podcast falls very squarely into the drive-in aesthetic uh for real like i I, i've been listening to a bunch of uh horror podcasts lately with uh people that appear to do not sound that much younger than us, but apparently are, you know, generationally younger than us. Mm-hmm. And they, like, even with the whole, uh, well, you know, accounting for the times that they were uh, made in, I still find it very uncomfortable. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's a horror movie with exploitations. Like, they were really getting up in arms. They were, a uh, podcast I was listening to was uh, watching The Burning. Yeah. And like, these are all supposed to be high schoolers. So it was like, well, yeah, but they're not played by high schoolers. Yeah, and even then, in The Burning, one of the reasons I legit love that movie is because there's a sequence where a whole bunch of people die yeah. very badly, mm. and they take a couple minutes and just show everyone grieving. Yeah. You don't see that in horror movies. You might get, like, a funeral scene where everyone's standing there in the rain, it is but this... somebody, like, makes eye contact with somebody because mm. there's a clue or something. Okay. But, like, they don't usually spend the funeral actually grieving. They use it to put characters together for the next plot point. That is true. Yeah. This, in the burning, it's just people kneeling and sobbing uncontrollably, mm. 
And it felt human. It actually got across the horror of the situation. Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't put that in, like you don't with most summer camp murder movies, it's just a series of deaths and then we roll the credits. That was fun. It takes, it honestly takes the fun out of watching these people die and reminds you this is bad. Yes. And so, yeah, that move, moments like that and a, a lot of elements in horror movies should be uncomfortable. Yeah. Just like, great. yeah. But like, just like um, a lot of people might be single, might not have anything going on, or might, obviously, I don't know. You whatever. can just say it's me, Pat. You can no, just I'm say just saying, it's me. In general, nudity works in films and has, you know, gets flagged as both a caution and an advertisement. Yeah. Like, nudity was for a while required if you wanted to be able to get it, get your movie released straight to video mm. through certain distributors. They're like, well, we like your movie, but there's no. There's no nudity. There's there, no sex in it. There's no edge. There's no thing. There's yeah. nothing to exploit. Right. The audience for. Yeah. We need. We need at least two murders and one set of boobs, or we don't distribute it. Like there's a lot of companies that operated that way. Yeah. And they made money. They made a ton <laughs> of money because you knew that label was there. You were going to take this movie home, and it might be cardboard sets and terrible dialogue. But you were gonna see a, you were gonna see a pair of boobs, and you were gonna see somebody's head blow up or something. Yes. Yeah. Is this too much to ask for? Does this make us weird? I mean, it does because we are mutants. Well, yeah, that's the name of the whole family. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, it's it's just it's part it of the genre weird. trappings, and it is again the novelty of I'm not gonna go see an off Broadway show and get get any of that. Well, maybe off Broadway, but like, but like I like theater. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exploitation became a genre comfortable in, well, exploitation. Yeah. And just wore it on their, well, if they wore sleeves, because all the nudity. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. And, nope, lost train of thought. That's fair. Yeah. So, have you ever seen any of the Emmanuel movies? I know they were on, like, well, they were on Skinamax back in the day, and they were, mm. they showed them. I think they used to occasionally show them on like not US, maybe USA Up All Night. Really? I don't think like, I don't think actual USA Up All Night, but I know like late night yeah. hosts because I remember at one point halfway through, like this is the dumbest thing to show in this format. Mm-hmm. You're editing it, and they're not long movies in the first place, and once you cut all the nudity, and you got a really boring movie about somebody on vacation. Um, it kind of like if somebody phoned in a version of under the Tuscan sun, no. it's like, Oh, just this, this woman moved to this new location and she's dating people, but it's not letting it go too far. And we're cutting away from when it does. Yeah, watching edited for TV Emmanuel movies is really, really bad. Well, it's like watching Scarface on regular TV. It's just like, what is the point? Like, what are we doing here? Although, um, tangent, but hey, uh, I remember watching edited for TV The French Connection back when I was like eight or nine. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the local channels, um, one of the UHF stations. Mm -hmm. And... It was very clear that whoever was running the seven-second delay was at the station. Like, they weren't running a pre-edited copy. Okay. And they didn't have their timing right, so they were hitting the button, but not 
So it was basically bleeping everything in between the F-bombs. Oh, no. And we had we popped in a tape somewhere in the middle of it, like once we realized it was going on. Mm-hmm. I wish I could find that tape. It was hysterical. That's, uh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, WBFF Fox 40. Well, now it's Fox 45, but they were just in D45 back then. I'm sure whoever did this 40 years ago has been sacked. I mean, or retired. One assumes. Yeah. So this looks like it was direct. Okay, so it's directed by Lou DiStefano. And hold on for one sec, because IMDb is weird now. I. Okay, this is the only movie he has directed, but he's apparently in Amityville Cop. Remember that one? Yeah. Uh, So probably was on the set and somebody explained, oh, you can just make Amityville anything. Yeah. And he did. He was Officer Dickinson. I do not remember an Officer Dickinson. I have thin memories of that one. We've watched so many of these. That was the one with like the wannabe Axel Foley guy. Right, and yeah. it was like it was the maniac cop kind of yeah. riff, but then it started to drift into like an invasion movie. I think yes, where they, they were, it was like uh, Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Right, it was like we're yeah. tra- except we're trapped inside with the maniac cop. Right, sort of thing. But I'm trying to see if there are any other people that kind of jump out. Mm-hmm. As oh, I'm sure they will. It's a horror movie. Hey, <laughs> I see you've done that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, with the Emmanuel films, while you're looking this up, um, all of the different versions were kind of an Amityville situation in that Mm -hmm. the Sylvia Crystal series was a franchise. Mm -hmm. The 2Ms was basically sidestepping that and just making the, you know, store brand knockoff. Like Plingles or um, (laughs) Street Tones. Shingles. Yeah. Um... (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Pub. Mr. Pub. Yes. Like uh, Mountain Pub. Lightning. Ew. Yeah. But like, so so that was a knockoff already. Then I don't know, I'm assuming, legally speaking, they just didn't care when they did Black Emmanuel, because you're doing like Black Caesar, yeah. Black Leela, Blackenstein, the Blanche Black of Bloater Blame. The what? I think it was a Simpsons joke or something. Fair. Yeah. Um, no one in this movie is credited as playing anyone named Emmanuel. Oh boy, we have. Are, do you think it'll take place in Amityville at all? I mean, I, I figure they gotta say like something to to call it Emmanuel, uh, to call it Amityville. Excuse me, no. Amityville Emmanuel. They they're doing that on purpose. Yeah, the, the, the whole all right, thing. five times fast. Amityville Emmanuel. Amityville Emmanuel. Amityville Emmanuel. Amityville Emmanuel. Amityville Emmanuel. What's Tony Todd doing here? (laughs) Anyway. I just feel like we wrote a Blues Traveler. uh, It's like solo. Yeah, that's fair. This Uh, is a a woman discovers the haunting truth behind her murderous secrets. Wait a minute. A woman discovers the haunting truth behind her murderous secrets. Amnesia. I'm calling amnesia now. Amityville amnesia. Amityville amnesia. Amityville amnesia. Amityville Emmanuel 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 amnesia. I did it. You did it. I'm not going on that journey with you though. Oh no. It. it mm, my tongue's bleeding. Yay. My mouth bleeding, Bert. Oh. So. <coughs> yeah. Her murderous secrets. And then Emmanuel in Space. There were a Emmanuel. bunch of those, and I think those were actually produced by 
like Playboy Penthouse, like one of the adult magazines. I can see that. I was, yeah. I, was I did check the, I, I looked those up a little bit. The the woman playing Emmanuel, she's actually you know an actress. Yeah, like she's another thing. Oh, she's in the Final Destination. Yeah, she's the uh, the Karen that goes gets her hair done. Right, and uh, she's on the X Files and mm-hmm. Silk Stockings and stuff. She's a yeah, Canadian she was regular. Yeah, she was kind of uh, in that Shannon Tweed category yeah, of like yeah, yeah, yeah. never doing adult films. Might do like lights, yeah. you know. You're gonna see a lot. But, yeah, you know, like we're not gonna. She's I'm a B actress, fine with nudity, but also good enough to be supporting in mainstream. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like just crossover enough. Okay. Yeah. It looks like a bunch of these guys, a couple of these guys, were part of the uh, Amityville Cop movie. Right. So, yeah, this is probably just another, like, a scene decided. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh, boy. Yeah, sometimes it's like, you know, you get a singular vision, like a Mark Polonia or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get these little... Um, Troops? Yeah, that's... Yeah. And everyone's got an idea for an Amityville. They take turns. What about a broken lizard Amityville? Broken lizard Amityville. They could do it. No, they could. Like, I, man, I still don't understand. Like, one, I don't understand how Club Dread did not become, a, uh, like, a crazy hit back in the day. Because, yeah. like, riding, like, Super Troopers was a cold sleeper hit. And then, okay, here's the next movie they do. And it's hilarious. Yeah. And it's not even getting, like, a reevaluation. Like, cons- it's like if you know, like, you know. But, like, yeah. and like, I love it. I actually, uh, like Mondo. People, and people like Beer Fest, too. I like Beer Fest. But not oh, no, like Club like Dread lever, level. But, like, no, but, yeah. like, people in general, I mean, they yeah. like Super Troopers, they like Beer Fest. No, but, like, it's almost like they didn't even see Cl- uh, Club Dread. I think, um... I think a pocket of the fan base for both of those aren't into horror and never were into horror. Mm. And so they saw, oh, it's kind of a horror movie, not realizing how accurate they were in the style. Yeah, because, I mean, it is equal, it is, a, it is a horror, it is a slasher yeah. movie, but it is equal parts stoner and, you know, uh, sex comedy. Yeah. But they said, first and foremost, we wrote a horror movie, and then we added the humor. And it worked. Yeah. That's like the we, way. Yeah. Like, if you're ever making a horror comedy, that's how you're supposed to do it. Yeah. Horror first, then add jokes. Not yeah. jokes first, then add yeah. horror. Because uh, basically the jokes first breaks the rhythm, and it 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 breaks the concept a lot of times. Like, yeah. you make enough jokes, and the plot doesn't work anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, they've kind of gone that way with all of their stuff. They figure out what the movie is supposed to be yeah. and then dump on afterwards. Like, uh, the Quasimodo movie they did is basically... They did a Quasimodo movie? Oh, yeah. It's on Hulu. It went up in the last year. Okay. And it's basically a fish-out-of-water freshman at college movie, except fact. about Quasimodo. Quasimodo. <laughs> Which one of them is playing Quasimodo? Uh, Steve. Uh, Steve Lemmy. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. And it's... If you, if you see... The DNA of what they're doing—it's mm. hysterical. If you don't see that, I can't imagine it being funny. That's fair. But yeah, like you're either if, in if on you, the joke yeah. or you're not. If you've seen enough stuff like Big Man on Campus and stuff mm-hmm. like that, um, it's—they nail it. I mean, this is also like why all of the, uh, the Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg movies work as well as they do. The Shaun mm-hmm. of the Dead, the Hot Fuzz, yeah. and The World's End—they start with the genre. 
and do like the straight genre movie first and then add find the humor and add the silliness. Yeah. Yeah. And here they they um they take this classic, you know, Victor Hugo work of literature and basically make it but teen what wolf. What if you went to college? Yeah. Well, I'd say it's awesome. part teen wolf, part teen wolf two. Well, you know, yeah. it's, college. it's High school in the eighties, the high school comedy versus the college comedy was a difference in name only. It was really. basically the characters can have beer in this one. Yeah, more, ease, more easily, more easily have yeah. beer and more easily have the sex. Yeah, but yeah, it's, are we going for an R or a PG thirteen? <sighs> just go for an R. Kids are going to see it. You won't. Yeah. You're not. I, I would like to see the ta- the the accounting tables. That do demonstrate how much more money you, they make as a PG thirteen than an R. Yeah, because the R movies, it's just more memorable and more fun. Because just they do if nothing thing. else, more freedom. Exactly. So yeah. they do the crazier thing. Yeah, but like you look at Breakfast Club was rated R, hmm? and there's no violence, there's no nudity. Yeah, it's there's all barely dialogue. even cursing. There's a fair amount of cursing, That's but not as much yeah. as like, well. You're right. There, yeah. there, there's cursing. There's yeah. cursing. It's and not there, Scarface there, or Big Lebowski level cursing. But right, but like know. once you cross the line into R, once you have two F-bombs, you're R. Let's just do this. So why not do 60 or 100 or, mm-hmm. yeah. Or however many the script requires. Mm-hmm. Do the story, tell the story you want, then yeah. worry about selling it. And also, still be judicious and place your profanity where it's most effective. Use it for punctuation. Exactly. But. But anyway, so... Enough about, uh... Emmanuel... Amityville Emmanuel. Not in space. Amityville... Although, eventually, probably. Amityville. I just... Okay, I'm saying it once, I can't do anymore. And also, this, uh... Emmanuel only has one M. So, I don't know if that means... Oh, that might... Uh... I don't know which franchise was the bootleg. The original one had two M's, so I think this... This is... So this is purposely bootlegging... Officially bootlegging the franchise. All right. So, all right. And if it does well enough, maybe we'll get into Amityville Emmanuel in space. All right. So, you're taking bets on whether or not it's going to be in an Amityville. I'm taking bets. Is there going to be any actual nudity? Um, I believe so. All right, all right. I'm betting no. Okay. Because, like, lately they just kind of go not nudity. Mm -hmm. Because it's tough when it's just your little group of acting friends is like, who, okay, one, two, three, not it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I can see that being a problem. Um, But also I can see them asking that question before they decide to go with this one. Yeah. I mean, they should have. Yeah, but then again, like... These movies are not accurately named. One having the Amityville name mm-hmm. in there. Ooh, I wonder oh, if this often. is just going to look like L.A. again, like with the cop one. Probably. I mm-hmm. mean, film what you know, right? True. Film, and, film what you know, and by <laughs> know what you have access to public domain footage of. Exactly. But all right, yeah. we've introduced this enough. It's only sixty-six minutes long. We're gonna. Yeah. There's no way we're not gonna be longer than the actual movie. This is yeah. I think this is gonna be a drive time episode. Yeah. All right. Talk to you in a minute. See, a lot of people wouldn't think that you could make a movie with no conceit, no visible conflict or character development and they'd be right but you know I like that we on the Amityville Horror Podcast we keep seeing the attempts yeah over 
like over again. Lack lack of character, lack of story, but then you have plenty of room to add in elements as you're doing specific genres and styles. Like, could you do a horror movie based on the Emmanuel franchise that contains no no real gore and no nudity? Apparently. Yeah. Because this had no real gore and no nudity. So, you know. Yeah. I win. Yeah. You I called said, it. You called said it. There was going to be no nudity. It is Amityville. Which it is I, very Amityville. I appreciate that, though. They never. We don't even get. We didn't get the sign. We which, didn't get the sign, and I don't even think they said the word Amityville, no. but it is tied to the mythology. It is very tied to the mythology. In ways that would surprise you. Because it's stupid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How stupid is it? Let's go to the notes. Oh, my God. All right, so the movie opens... November uh, 13th, 1974. Mm-hmm. did a little research. That's around when it happened. I would assume. Yeah. I, I know we've probably said when it happened. Um, well, the Lutz incident was in the fall of 1974. The Ronnie DeFeo incident was not. Well, yeah, that would have to be at least like a year 72, ahead. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it opens with the Ronnie DeFeo, uh, Devil Made Me Do It. Mm-hmm. Um... It's him face to face talking to what looks like a young officer, Glenn Beck. Oh, um, yeah, for those of you who don't remember, Glenn Beck was a loudmouth asshole who said too many things and complained about cancel culture until nobody would hire him anymore. So I think he still is that guy. I mean, he still is. He just doesn't have an audience mm. and because he kept whining about how nobody listened to him, so they stopped. Also, I mean, he was spouting garbage. You know, to date, the only guy that's ever actually been canceled that way was Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, he lost his job. Yeah, like every, uh, the Dixie Chicks. Uh, oh, it's usually Chicks, yeah, yeah right wingers tends to actively cancel by getting people fired from jobs, hold book burnings. Mm. Um, yeah, it's not just I don't think I'm going to see their movie. Yeah, or I'm going to change the channel, or you know. No, they actively try to destroy the lives of people. Yes, they do. And they then see. complain when somebody says, maybe I don't like you anymore. Yeah. Because rules good. only apply to their enemies. No. Yeah. Cancel. They always use it as like, uh, oh, I'm just not going to buy your, go see your next movie because I don't like your politics. Oh, you're canceling me. No. No, I don't want to see the movie because I think you're going to be saying a lot of things that I don't care. It's capitalism. I don't find it. Yeah, we are allowed to choose what media we buy, but when you have book burnings and record burnings, that's different. Also, they're the morons who buy a giant pile of these things to burn, therefore supporting the artists mm. in a way. So apparently, like I, I saw, I, I saw a uh, TikTok or an Instagram reel where uh, somebody had checked the the Sound of Freedom, uh-huh. and like uh, all the tickets had been sold out of the showing. Mm-hmm. And they go, they they bought tickets to a different movie that was playing at the same time. They go in, it's like two minutes before the movie's about to start, and there's literally no one in the audience. Yeah. Because they're just buying it out to drive up the numbers. Yep. Monsters. Yeah. Well, you monsters. know what? It, they can do all they want with their own money. That's kind of the whole point of what we were saying. And mm-hmm. they can fill that theater and pay the filmmakers for what they did. It doesn't mean that more people have actually seen the movie. Nope. Uh, it looks like people have seen the movie until you talk to anyone. It's like, no, that looked terrible. Yeah. Did not know that Jim Caviezel was a QAnon. Neither did I. That's yeah. very disappointing. It, it, well, it's it's disappointing. I mean, let's be real. Jim Caviezel. Do we care? 
I liked Person of Interest. I thought that oh. was a great show. Fair enough. Okay. Well, then, yeah, that would be disappointing. Yeah. Fair. So, after Ronnie confesses that the devil made him do it, we cut to L.A. in the nondescript future. Well, it doesn't say future. It says maybe nighttime. Or no, it was nighttime before. It's daytime now. So we know that probably a few hours have passed, but we have no clue how long has passed. Mm -hmm. So for the rest of the movie, I was assuming it was also still 1974, which raises a lot of questions. Well, there were a lot of smartwatches. And uh, did we see some smartphones? And laptops and and flat screens. So I think this is some sort of an alternate... Amityville 1974 where it was Mm. bordering into the future. I think this is the 1974 from Blade Runner. Okay. Because Blade Runner by 2019 was space. Right. And so I think that's the LA we're dealing with is that they were just pre-technologically advanced Mm -hmm. as opposed to our timeline and that replicants may have been operating in the background of this film. Fair. We don't see any of the eye gags. But, you know. Uh, no, but the lighting choices were. We'll get to them. Creative. In, no, 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 like no, a no, not creative go that way. direction. Anyway. Uh, there were choices. So we meet uh, Gordon, who is having nondescript trouble, which is not, may or may not be related to this bandage he has on his hand that is never addressed. Never once addressed. No. Um, it could be trouble with his. Boring cross tattoos that are all over his right arm. Which are never addressed, but look very fresh and new. Yeah, it looks like Sharpie. Yeah. Like, uh, honestly, it looks like he's just been to a lot of clubs and they keep, you know, marking that he's paid the uh, the entry fee. Yeah, but he's not 21. No, yeah. no. I can see him not being 21. Yeah. Or at least saying, I'm not going to drink, so I'll pay the extra to, I yeah. don't know. And we also meet his something, his paramour. Well, eventually we learn that they're in a romantic relationship. Yes. They're sitting at a dining room table, which means they're either in a dining room or they're in an office that's just being doubled with a dining room. Yeah. Um, and this is but Gina, who is quite literally never named in the entire film. No. Not, not a once brought up. Nope. But, uh, yeah, they're talking about how he needs to maybe start th- dealing with his issues and... Um, do some meditation, and we couldn't tell if she was a therapist, mm. a sister, a girlfriend, a just a friend. Yeah. No, um, like, there was a lot of therapist vibes. Yes. Oh, also, before we move too far ahead of it, the detective at the beginning of the movie was Louis Stefano, the co-writer, director. Oh, gotcha. And um, who appears in the end credits at least seven times. Actually, no, not co-writer. It was Gino, Gino McGee, McGee, Magahi. Wrote the movie, but Louis, Louis DeStefano directed and did a zillion things. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's all good. Um, yeah, he's having problems. He's having nightmares. Uh, meanwhile, some guy works in some office. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember what the point of that scene was, except it was that to show us that it was to introduce Laura and to show that she's really good at her job but not to tell what her job is. She's so good at her job that Warren, who is the guy, is worried that they're going to offer Laura his job. But, oh, by the by, here's a bonus of some form. We're going to... Oh, no, he says it's a check Mm -hmm. in some amount. Yeah. 
God, they, they really don't like being specific in this movie. No, it's only until later. Like, at first I thought she's some sort of creative type, you know, mm-hmm. some sort of like a script writer or producer or something. It's later we find out that she's a marketer. And Laura has, in fact, been scum this entire film. Because mm-hmm. selling things yeah. in and this country. The, a lot of the commercials that came up through this mm. were so awful, it helped really nail down the horror of her being... In yeah, marketing. they could have been made by her. We lay, we will find out in... Uh, so Laura takes her bonus, which she says, this means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. It, it means almost as much as his giant scarf meant to him. Oh my God. The dude had a scarf wrapped easily seven times around his neck. It it looked like he had had a, be- a neck injury, yeah. and he just got this custom-knitted mm-hmm. neck pillow. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Do you remember in Adventures of Baron Munchausen, the mm. giant thing around Robin Williams' neck sure, that allowed his sure. head to fly off and float around? Yeah, I can see it that. Looked, it looked like he had the L.A. version of that. Yeah, because it's like, it's... Uh, artisanal it's knitted mm-hmm. it's like i got it from you know the better etsy you know not the etsy that normal people yeah. know about but the good etsy um, oh i'm sorry i've said too the much. light web etsy i've said too much uh so we'll never go to the light web they go to the dark web or the web the light web is so sweet well that's sort of how like there's the dark side of the force and the force but they're naming conventions I, yeah i do argue the light side they never refer to it as the light Not side. in Star Wars. But I feel like in where Caddyshack they, where, where they cover it. Well, okay, but that's not Star Wars. Well, we figured things out. That was a long, long time ago. I'm so very confused. Usually we are. After one of these. Okay. Anyway, uh, the boss... Um, Warren. Warren goes on about not being one of these corporate fat cats. Uh, he t- he has a wife and kids. Fat, fat asses. He says that... Oh, I fat asses. He I, says, like, I, 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 I don't truck with those fat asses. Gotcha. And then he also says, I have a wife and kids, implying that the sentences are related? Well, this was when he was... Uh, I, the corporate fat asses are probably going to offer you my job, and so please don't take it. I have a wife and kids. Okay, then you heard it in a way that connected. I literally was like, I don't know why he just mentioned the wife and kids just now. It's because he doesn't want Laura to take her job and her meteoric meteoric rise to the top. Mm. Don't worry. Warren will never appear again. This has nothing to do with anything. Yes. But it introduces Laura and the fact that she has enough money to buy a house. Yeah. A house that she wants. In the town that she's living in, which, mm-hmm. from all of the uh, drone footage, appears to be Los Angeles, California. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, she is not in this house more than, like, ten minutes unpacking. She's barely uh, unpacked the long room. In the long room, yes. The handwriting on one of the moving boxes, I swore it said long room, and I was expecting, like, a Big Lebowski situation with uh, Larry's homework. Yeah, but, Larry Sellers, mm-hmm. son of Arthur Digby. Wrote, uh, created uh, a little show called Branded. Mm-hmm. Wrote 150 episodes. Not exactly a lightweight. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, that, it kind of, it reminds me. I saw like on Instagram. I saw somebody had made a uh, or somebody had bought a placemat that says, uh, "I hope you brought wine." But the font and the writing is so terrible that it reads, "I hope you brought urine." 
Nice. <laughs> so, you know, the urine room. Yeah. Uh, so Laura is unpacking, and um, does Allie show up first? Uh, yeah. Okay, so Allie is her best friend, mm-hmm. and oh my god, can you believe that we're adults now, and don't we sound like adults since we're referring to the fact that we're adults, and that we don't go out and cruise for boys anymore? Mm-hmm. And here is your relationship status, here is my relationship status, this covers the details of my work day. I, Laura Lutz, <gasps> Yeah. we get the name drop, Lutz, Lutz. The Lutz family. We have the DeFeos and the Lutzes being referenced in this film. Mm-hmm. Now, the DeFeos have been, you know, uh, apparently fair game throughout all of these movies, but very rarely do we get the Lutzes because yeah. the Lutzes are litigious. Uh-huh. Uh, though, um, with the elder Lutzes having passed over the last couple of years, I feel like people are taking the risk. Yeah. And also, I don't think anyone would believe that this movie was at all tied to any reality. I mean, also, well, they still have to put the disclaimer at the end of the movie. That is true. That is true. I mean, it would, actually, the, 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 uh, any connection to real persons is unintentional and accidental is almost as, uh, or is just as warranted as the no animals were harmed in this film. Which it says, even though there are literally no animals in the film. Yeah. Although you, you bet, I bet you Warren has like a little lap dog. There's a mention of a cat. Janet has a cat. Janet has a cat we never see. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, they basically, they sit down, they have some wine, and have a scene to plan having a scene. It's This movie does this several times, where characters will more or less kind of go back over exposition we've already covered, while specifically planning, hey, let's get together tonight so that we can have a scene for this movie. Yeah. In a way that does not add up to anything moving forward or being interesting visually. It is literally, let's have a meeting to plan having a meeting. (sighs) Yeah. It's like being at work. That's what this movie felt like. This movie felt like Mm -hmm. work. This movie felt like it was two hours long when it was 66 minutes, including credits. Yeah. That's insane. So they make plans to go to the bar, even though that's not what we do. Or no, they're going to double date. It's going to be They're Allie gonna... and Bob, and Bob has a friend that you have to meet, Laura. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's been too long since you've gotten late. Because Emmanuel, right? This is this is the sexy yeah. Amityville movie. Oh, and there is nobody named Emmanuel in any of this movie. Nope. Um, it's called Emmanuel because it's about a woman in her 40s who actually has a sex drive. <gasps> shock to shock of Disgusting. the world. Disgusting. Everyone reacts. Kill it with fire. It's treated almost more shockingly than, oh, and by the way, there are ghosts and psychic dreams and levels of coincidence that, again, will surprise you. Probably not. Again, one of the greatest line deliveries in any in recent horror movies that I've seen. No, Ron. Girls that like, love, love kombucha and read Walden for fun are a myth. Werewolves are real. werewolves within is worth watching it's amazing it's really good personally my favorite movie based on a video game no personally Uh, yeah Yeah. no i'm I'm saying you're wrong about your your own personal opinions yeah like you you like other movies better you just don't know (laughs) (laughs) well uh personal favorite uh 
video game movie is got to be either uh, the Silent Hill movie or the original Super Mario Brothers movie. And see, like, I, I'm not so nuts about Super Mario. I appreciate the camp factor, and I get why people enjoy it. It's just fascinating. It's fascinating. I wouldn't call it a good movie, and I don't, I don't necessarily... Think it is a good movie. I don't always really enjoy watching it. I'm hit and miss. I always love watching it. <laughs> gotcha. Sometimes I watch it like nip slog. Sometimes I'm into the camp. Yeah. But the Silent Hill movie is legitimately. Cool. I I legitimately like it. That's probably my number two. Really? You'd go. I loved Werewolves Within. I like it too, but it kind of like loses its momentum in random parts of the film. <sighs> it picks it back up, but there yeah. are like weird little. Are we sure? Do it's like? Do we know? Do we th- Do we have enough? To get to feature length. For me, it felt like taking a breather. That's fair. Like, it was still moving, but it wasn't as... Like, sometimes it goes so breakneck, Mm -hmm. like, in a batch of things, that, like, when it stops to, like, just kind of gather itself... Yeah. I'm still on board. And I still feel like the entire way through, no matter what the pacing is, the cast is ungodly charming. Everybody in the cast is amazing. Uh, I, I, I could see your argument for the pacing... But it didn't feel like it was on purpose. Like, it didn't feel controlled, and that's what they were doing. It felt more accidentally, this is how it's paced. Gotcha. Um, the, but it's fine. Yeah, one of the early movies from the same team that did it. Oh, God, I cannot remember the name of it now. Um, but it's basically two people in a cabin telling each other scary stories. Fun. Yeah, and it's, but it's a very dialogue-driven, still, like, engaging, you know, horror comedy. Fair. Anyway. Which would be better than this. Yeah. So Werewolves Within, so like yeah, we'll just say resale value now. Werewolves Within, go very see it. Very high. Very this high. This one, not so much. Yeah, this one, not so much. So uh, Laura is getting ready for uh, her double date when May shows up. May, who's never named on the film. She is just the very weird, stilted neighbor who has a box full of George Lutz's stuff. Which, was it, is it Allie that says Laura Lutz, or is it when May shows up, I have George Lutz I have Lutz Laura and Lutz stuff. marked as she's moving into the living room. Okay. It's set at the very front. Yeah. Um, okay. We're, so. Uh, oh, before the old lady, yeah, they do the Ouija board thing. Oh, right, right, right. Um, because they. This is with Gordon and Gina, and they're two friends that we'll never see again. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they managed it, like. Move the coffee table off the carpet to be able to sit on the floor to do the Ouija table, which I thought was a little bit weird. Like, mm-hmm. tables are great. I'm a fan. Yeah. I have my they foot actually, on mine right now. Yeah. They call a lot of things like board games tabletop games. That's weird. No. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> attentions to detail. Oh, and it's not a Ouija board. It is an eye board. Uh, there's electrical tape over the rest of the title. They just break mm-hmm. out a... Talking game toy. Talking game so toy. So, like, they're more afraid of Parker Rollers than they are of the Lutzes for lawsuits. I mean, I know I am. But like, we shouldn't be making fun of them. Yeah. But I feel like the Parker Brothers have to be dead by now. That's what they want you to... Or, they... Okay, they are. That's why they invented the Ouija board, so they can keep communicating with the board of Parker Brothers. That makes more sense than anything in this movie. Yeah, it does. After the movie, I'm going to head down to the 7-Eleven down by Mount Vernon and ask... Mm-hmm. 
That's where the Ouija board was invented. It's oh, now really? a Seven Eleven. It wasn't at the time, <laughs> but the Ouija board. There's a plaque in a Seven Eleven downtown. Uh, it's a little south of Mount Vernon. Uh-huh. I guess it's technically, but like down by the BMA. Okay. Or no, the Walters. Mm-hmm. I always get our museums mixed up. Okay. But it's like right by the Walters Art Gallery in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a Seven yeah. Eleven, and in that building. Was the Ouija board. Was the invention of the Ouija board, and there is a plaque in the 7-Eleven commemorating it. That's awesome. Because um, like, if you go on Baltimore a scavenger hunt town. in... Yeah. We also have, uh, what is it, Greenmount Cemetery, where you can visit the, the grave of the inventor of the Ouija board, which has a talking board tombstone. Why would you do that? Visit it, take pictures, one thing. Oh, yeah, no, no, but no. But no, I don't, no. I don't oh, touch yeah, those Yeah, visit, things. visit. I in broad daylight at noon yeah. and, you know, run away. Right. But, like, there's a lot it's, of... It's, it's, it's a Ouija board in a cemetery. Yeah. What are you insane? It's the same cemetery that features, if I'm not mistaken, uh, John Wilkes Booth. Awesome. And uh, Johnny Eck, uh, or Ike, um, a famous travel uh, circus freak, to use the word, because he's it, featured prominently in the movie Freaks. He's the half-man. Fun. Yeah. Terrible. Anyway, uh, Baltimore is full of all sorts of weird, and we love it. Fair. I so, yeah. mentioned it. So, yeah, we hit the Ouija board, and uh, Gordon starts tripping out and imagines Ronnie DeFeo showing up and shooting everyone but him, because Gordon is the long-lost son of Ronnie DeFeo Jr. And they never explain how he has, like, a remaining son since Ronnie... Well, Ronnie was a teenager when he killed his whole family and spent the rest of his life in an institution and or prison. Right. So it is a uh, it's a lot of the uh, the uh, Amityville next generation vibe with keys somehow being related to Ronnie DeFeo because mm-hmm. maybe somebody showed up and uh, they porked. Yeah, I'm I'm setting my notes down because rather than go in order, we have to sort out. What they they're claiming the timeline is in this movie. We'll skip it as they try and explain it, but just to make a cohesive whole of this mess, mm-hmm. or at least as best pocketed. He's in his thirties, maybe ish. Yeah. Um, oh, definitely thirties. He's definitely in his thirties, forties. Gotcha. But he is somehow the son of DeFeo, who yeah was in prison since seventy four. Yep. Like the movie even admits that. Yes. This guy is not 50. No. Not even close. No. Now, uh, I don't care how stubbly he is. They say that Laura Lutz mm-hmm. it was a baby when this all happened originally. Yeah. There was no baby in the original movie or story. No, there was not. And all of the children were not related to George Lutz by blood. Right. Because they, they were, were steps. all stepchildren. They were, uh, I forget what the, the wife's name was. Oh, God. Yeah. Katie? No. But it's so yeah. This is a new baby that never existed before at yeah. the time of the original incident. She has she finds out that this woman May knew her father somehow again still in California probably but Kathy Lutz Kathy Lutz was right the mom. Uh, but she has a box of the dad's stuff that he gave her years back that she mm-hmm. only has to deliver now that. Laura has bought this house 
randomly. Which we has no seemingly no connection to Amityville. Right. This is just she buys a house. She has a new neighbor mm-hmm. who has a box of stuff that belonged to her father but was addressed to Laura yeah. that includes the ashes of Ronnie DeFeo. We find out later. Uh-huh. Which those ashes were given to George Lutz because he knew DeFeo before the murders. He knew they were going to happen because they knew each other from like the bar in town or something. Uh, yes. Like bowling league maybe. Somehow they hooked up over a mutual love of the occult. Right. And that the murder of the DeFeo family was a specific sacrifice to open up a gate to hell yeah. in the Amityville house that George was curious to see if it worked, bought the house, everything went wonky, and he hung himself not too long thereafter. Yes. And he had sent uh, Laura as a baby to live with uh, her aunt. Right. Presumably George's sister. Right. The other kids, no idea what happened to them. No idea. Um, no mention of them, so it's not even like I'm estranged from my step-siblings or blah, blah, blah. Just like I didn't know anything about my father. I lived with my aunt, and she, I guess, never mentioned my actual parents. Yep. Because um, she's in the dark about all of this. Yes, she is. Um, because, yeah, he never wrote. He never did anything to mm-hmm. communicate with her yeah. in the subsequent years. Subsequent and years. her childhood is treated like it was handled as much more of a mystery than the kid who knew that his father was Ronnie DeFeo, which would have been the much harder one, or that would have been a much easier one to have kept hidden. Yes. Like, so invert those already, you're making more sense. Like, if you recall, in uh, Amityville Next Generation, Keys had no idea yeah. of his uh, lineage. Yeah. Until, you know, he got that mirror. Yeah. But both of them have ways that they could have easily looked all this shit up. If it takes place in modern day, it still might be 1974, according to the time cards. It's not 1974. The only time we're told there's a time jump is at the end of the movie, we jump another six months. I know, which but come I believe on. puts us in 75. I appreciate the joke, but come on. Yeah. You put the notes aside. To, you can't make know, the 1974 joke in the middle of we're straight. We're, we're trying to figure this out. I'm just trying to say it's a fucking mess. It's a fucking mess. Uh, oh, and I completely agree. If you're saying that the Lutzes and. That George Lutz and Ronnie DeFeo plotted the family murders and all of this stuff to open a portal to hell, and they were all complicit in it. This is the one you get sued on. This they really should get sued. This movie like, is in very poor taste. Yeah, this is like for all of your arguments. Where sometimes I've even self pedaled. Like I see where yeah. they had to use real things for a fiction. I, I and I have agreed on them sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes. but also oh, I yeah, see no, your point it, too. It depends on how well it's done. Like, what are they uh, ascribing to people they've never met who had a tragedy of a life? Yeah. And what is the purpose of it in the film? And or is the movie good at all? Yeah. But this is... This one's pretty disgusting on This it. is pretty bad. This is... Because this was like the uh, that uh, remake of uh, number two. Right. Where they like... Go full on is like, and it's the, such the a mom. great intense movie until you get to the end. It is because like you have that scene where the mom is like, you know, I think we're gonna get murdered and it's gonna be the best thing for us. It's like mm. you can't put that speech in a dead woman's mouth. <sighs> but even then, even then, the actual footage at the credits was over the line for me. Fair in that. Okay. Way. Well, yeah. Like different I was structure, different function. right. I was willing to say that. Like, look, this is a fictionalization of events and marriage. But no, like yeah. that was definitely 
Like I, I, I think we could both agree. Any sort of uh, uh, active intention applied to, you know, even Ronnie DeFeo, mm-hmm. uh, I think is kind of gross. Yeah, it's just it's, we don't know what went on in his head. At best, at minimum, he was troubled. At yeah. maximum, he might have actually been like legitimately clinically insane. Right. And, you know, it's a tragedy what happened to everyone involved. Absolutely. So when we start, well, actually, it's a lot like um, there's been a, a, like a growing trend of setting uh, period piece horror movies in the New England area mm-hmm. and having the witches be real. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, a lot of the movies that have come out of this, like the Dave Eggers, the Vivitch, have been really good. But when you stop and think about it, Thousands, hundreds, if not thousands of women were murdered. For being women. For being women. And now we're acting like, oh, but yeah. But what if? But what if it was true? Right. That's kind of messed up. Yeah. It's... Yeah, it's gross. It is. Yeah. It's... Even if it makes for good movies, it's just kind of yeah. like, ugh. We're so, so we're like uh, the, uh, the WandaVision show. Uh, when we find out part of the or- secret origin of Agatha Harkness, it's just like, oh, but they were witches. Great. So mm-hmm. all of the men that burned all of these women alive and did other things to them were right. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool, cool. Not a great look. No, it's not. But anyway. Yeah. So so, so all of this, all of this. At, uh, brings it around to um, Laura Lutz getting the ashes to the son of DeFeo. Uh, well, oh, like, we're skipping over a lot. We're skipping over... I want to cover the core actual theoretical plot before oh, we get into okay, the details, okay. because it's such a mess that I feel like it has to be covered at once. Otherwise, it'll... It, we had we had a chance to discuss it while we were watching. Yeah. I feel like we'll lose everybody else. Okay. Um, she gets these you ashes. You guys are all following, right? Yeah. You're taking notes, Yes. I still haven't seen this Wikipedia page that you're supposed to create for us. We gotta look for Just that. Just saying. We gotta see if that's We should happen. actually check. Yeah. <laughs> so she gets the ashes to the next DeFeo, the well, 13th she, DeFeo. She, she, no, she calls it, yeah, she calls up, she's making a bunch of calls looking for anybody that's still related to uh, Ronnie DeFeo. And on the 13th try, <gasps> Lucky yeah. number thirteen. She hooks. She mm-hmm. she connects with Gordon, yeah. who begrudgingly goes. I guess we'll meet crazy person on the other line of the phone that I've never mm-hmm. met. Let me go to your house where the doors lock. Let's definitely not meet in a public place first. Mm-hmm. Does nobody online date? Apparently not in this world. Well, they all of everybody seems clumsy about dating in this. This is true. We'll come back to that. Okay. When we get to the details. Pass. She basically wants to get these ashes to him. Yeah. He, she, they meet up. They and all their friends agree we need to do something about this because weird things have been happening. Well, first they, the uh, Ronnie or Gordon and Laura have a separate meeting, and then they invite. That's right. They have the meeting to have the, the meeting. They have, they have the, the scene to have the scene. Yeah, they have a meeting, and uh, they both agree that they should ask Evan the guy from the double date that we've skipped over because for some reason we're making this movie non-linear. All right, fine. We'll go back. I'm just saying. I don't know why we're making this so much more complicated. I I thought we were streamlining. (laughs) Um, So, 
Laura and Al, Laura, Allie comes over when Laura is unpacking. We get exposition about who they are and who they are to each other. Then we get the Ouija board scene. Then while Laura is getting uh, ready for the double date, May comes over with the box of George Lutz paraphernalia, including Ronnie DeFeo's ashes, and a stainless steel urn that has like a really nice Trinity tree design on it that we only see in the last ten minutes of the film for some reason. Yeah. On the double date, Allie, uh, we are introduced to Allie's long-term boyfriend, Bob, who I forget exactly how... Is he another teacher at the school or something? I don't think they say. I don't I think, think they say. They, if, if it's not specifically included for a reason yeah. it's glossed over or generic as hell in this movie because because uh, like uh, bob knows evan evan is a history teacher at a school and the only reason why i don't think bob works at the school is uh they make a joke about how evan is apparently uh all the kids favorite teacher and evan brushes it off saying i'm the only teacher under 70 and so clear bob is clearly in the same age right. range so i figure he doesn't yeah. know but literally all we know about his job is he is a teacher oh. at a high school of history of history what kind of history you ask history where's the high school where's the any details like that is how generic he's set up just like laura is in the job of marketing I mean, because it, the it, writer didn't bother to like look up the basics of those jobs for anything. Fair, but in the, in the this is the only time I'm going to rise to the screenwriter's defense. Most of the time, you're just going to history. <laughs> it doesn't have more of a description than that. I know. I'm just saying that basically, yeah. people's personalities and lives are summed up in ways uh, akin to a greeting card. Yes. Of oh, what are you, what are we celebrating? Birthday. Okay, but like, you know, is this a good friend? Like, what have you been... Birthday. Yep. Yeah. Oh, what are you doing this weekend? Wedding. Mm -hmm. Who's yours? Friend, family? I'm going to wedding. Like, yeah. that kind of... Oh, no, I agree. But uh, Evan is seemingly charmless. He can talk. Actually, okay, so this is a recurring theme thing throughout the movie. I actually like the cast of this movie. Yeah. I thought, like, they're, you know, probably local theater type of people mm -hmm. coming together to do a little movie. The, all of the actors are infusing what passes for dialogue as much as they possibly yeah. can. They're and delivering like, this absolute balsa wood of a script in ways that feel like they've known each other for a while. Agreed. And even Evan, whose character is charmless, the actor is trying mm. so hard to be something in this movie where they give him nothing to do and up until later but we'll get to that uh but evan is just dull and they even get to the point where like uh so they split up evan and laura go back to laura's house and she is like all but giving him landing lights yeah to do this and she still has to convince him. And basically, like, she all but says, it's been so long since I've had sex that I w just want to have sex with you because you're here. Yeah. She says, and, even and then he has she trouble says, picking up on Well, it. she says, it's been two years since I've had sex. And he says, well, I got married two years. I got divorced two years ago. So it's probably been three years for me since I've had sex. So he does flat out explain, like... Yeah. I'm worse at sex than you. Like yeah. this is we neither one of us is good. We should probably let's take it slow. Not like 
let's try and have sex tonight. Let's just yeah. take it slow so I can kind of like relearn to pedal the bike. Yeah, it's just like, let, let's set all of the expectations very low. Yeah. And so they proceed to have the sex, which, as I predicted, no actual nudity yep. in the film. It's one of those, no, we're going to have sex, but it's one of the, much like most people when they have sex, they leave the bra on the girl. I mean, I as a guy definitely don't want to see those breasts at well, all. I, I want honestly, to. The, I just, the mystery keeps me interested while I'm having sex. See, I just like to respect the needs of the woman. And I know that women love wearing bras. Exactly. Like, they put them on exactly. the first thing they do when they get home some days. If they've had a bra this afternoon, they love just getting them on there. Like, the constriction yeah. really makes them feel like they're out in the world. I can't count how many uh, women friends of mine say that when they get home, they'll put on a second bra just yeah, to make yeah. it feel even better. Especially on like uh, a cold day, you want to get like maybe like a fuzzy bra covered by one that's mm-hmm. like got a, a solid underwire that yes. like it, those little pokes let you know you're alive. It, it makes you feel held. Yeah, women mm-hmm. love bras. Exactly. So like I don't I don't want to shame her for leaving it on during sex. Yeah, yeah I, I'm being a jerk in this situation. I, you're completely yeah. correct. Yeah. And as we, all we ask too much of women, we in do these movies. And as as always, will uh, please understand. Nobody ever has to do nudity in a movie if they don't want to. No. But if you're making I, a movie, we need called to Amanda, let Harvey Keitel know this. Oh. I'm just man. He likes getting naked. In he movies. really does. And sometimes you're like, dude, like we're filming Dunstan checks in. This is not appropriate. You've scared Jason Alexander away. Was he playing Dunstan? <laughs> as far as I know, he's pretty hairy. Yeah. I mean, he shaves sometimes, but no, you never, nobody ever has to do nudity. But if like the movie's called Emmanuel, it's a horror movie. There's what a, are we doing here? It's like, if you see a Jaws, you expect a shark. Exactly. Your franchise is known for one thing. Mm-hmm. Let's do that thing. Yeah. That said, the this actress... This might be the first Emmanuel movie to feature no nudity. I wouldn't be surprised. But, I mean, to her credit, the a- actress playing Laura is in her skivvies through yeah. a bunch of the scenes and is actively participating in the softest of softcore sex scenes. Right. So, but... Just say, yeah. Um, we're having fun at the premise. We're having fun with the premise, and so by the time she wakes up, uh, Evan has left for reasons we don't know. We don't know why he left. Yeah, he could have been eaten by the house. He could have been captured by a magic mirror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any number of Amityville calamities. Yeah, and then this is Amityville when calamity, uh, Amityville calamity, Amityville calamity, Amityville. Okay, that's not. Bad. We're gonna find one though. We're gonna find one. Yeah. So this is when May comes back. And uh, explains the whole backstory of George Lutz. Yeah. Uh, in some bizarre checkered onesie outfit thing. It is weird. Like, as weird as the as Warren's scarf was earlier, this outfit May is wearing is just... It looks like she took a bolt of plaid fabric and just kind of wrapped herself in it. Mm-hmm. And somehow it's tailored. Yeah, but I feel like it was supposed to emulate the look of the flannel shirt that they put DeFeo in. Okay, that could be that, that could be a thing. Yeah, and if not, I'm still giving you credit for it. Yeah. So after uh, we get the info dump, uh, Laura- which, by the way, is delivered. Um, this was it, something. It. 
She's and reading cue cards. She is reading cue cards the entire time. She is definitely reading cue cards, but that's not the only pacing. It feels like she's buffering. Well, that was the thing. Like, so, oh, go ahead. Like, her dialogue comes off like the early voice video games. Mm-hmm. Um, like, when it's you've got the, the visual of a character on screen and their mouth may move with a couple pixels, mm-hmm. but the lines of dialogue are coming out. You set us up the bomb. Mm-hmm. Oh no, haha. Your father was George Lutz. He was a, like, that kind yeah. of, yeah. No, yeah. It reminded me of, um, there's a Takashi, my favorite Takashi Miike film, Gozu, which is essentially Takashi Miike's take on a Twin Peaks type of story. And uh, the main character, Minami, uh, is trying to find his uh, elder gangster friend who has disappeared. And the trail has led him to uh, this store where... Uh, the Japan it's uh, run by a Japanese man and his American wife, and this is this is actually true. The actress playing the wife could not get the Japanese dialogue. She just like they tried a zillion different times, and so they had to write it out phonetically on all these cue cards that were arranged in, on the top shelves out of sight of the. Uh, out of sight of the camera, but on the top shelves in the supermarket, in the little market. And she's still having trouble with it. She's still delivering it. Da, 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 da. And it keeps going for so long that Minami, the main character, kind of walks over to her, looks up, and then him and the camera sees the cue cards all around, just adding another layer of weirdness to the story. That's amazing. It is amazing. I don't understand why Go- Gozu does not have a, like a Blu-ray super duper release. I have the DVD, but this is the only American release and it's driving me nuts. Mm. It's like that in Cemetery Manor. It's like, I don't have a nice Blu-ray of this movie and, and it's killing me. Cemetery Man in 3D. We need the 3D cut of it. I, I'm okay with it. Right, but that movie is beautiful in 3D, but, like, the only version, I think, on disc is from Germany. Mm. And I don't even know if it was an actual scan of the 3D print or if it was, like, a post-conversion somebody did off of the existing. But it, mm-hmm. it looked, from what I saw, looks like it was a proper version. Yeah. But that movie is shot front to back for 3D. It's framed for 3D. Like, all of the gags mm. are, like, close angle. It's one of the most beautiful 3D, like, experiences and they just don't put it out that way. It's so annoying. Yeah. I literally have a pair of 3D glasses they sent to the theater when I worked at the North Point here in Baltimore, and then they didn't send us the movie in 3D. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got everyone in the US got a 2D print, so I don't know what happened. But originally they even sent out 3D glasses to the theaters. I'm surprised before. they had a US theatrical release. Very thin. Yeah. Like I think it might have opened at North Point, which was a second run theater. <laughs> just not a great sign. No. But Despite it being one of the greatest movies ever made, but also at that point, the art there weren't as many art houses in Baltimore, so like anything yeah. that was indie and fringe might just need to find any theater to be dropped in. Oh, tuts. Yeah. So Laura, having gotten all of this information, proceeds to do what any sane, rational person would do: masturbate. Yep. Again, 
all clothes on, mm-hmm. and as she's masturbating, strumming a pain with the fingers. Wow. Alright. <laughs> she's doing self seduction. She's headed for self seduction. Oh my god. Awesome. As she's working herself, um, Ronnie DeFeo's arm comes out of the sheets. And this is, I thought this was kind of a fun effect. Yeah. Like, like you see the plaid clad arm come up and start caressing her while she's in the middle of her business and then like another arm and he never comes out from underneath the blankets but like the blankets take on the form of like there's a guy on top of her mm-hmm. and then she like snaps out of it and is like whew time to go to the singles bar yep and she meets up with Allie at the singles bar and uh she sees that there are two guys at the bar and she's like Allie let's go flirt with those boys and uh Allie says that she's gotta go home to hang out with Bob yeah. And see where life with Bob is going. Like, they're in the middle of a conversation about, like, what she's been going through and freaking out. And Allie is being a good friend, good friend, good friend. Hey, let's hit on those guys. Allie literally just immediately says, yeah, hanging out with a boyfriend tonight. Anyway, I got to go. See you later. And leaves the second half of her drink on the table. There's, like, a full finger of brown liquor in that glass. Yeah. It does not make like, any sense. It's literally the mention of, let's hit on guys. I'm out. Goodbye. Yeah. Like. So Laura goes Let's over, has a, has an extra shot of tequila. I think so. Some. Yeah, it, 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 it look yeah, it look, we'll not just say bad. tequila. And she starts hitting on Phil and Tom. And I gotta tell you, this guy Tom does not represent Toms. No. This is a bad Tom in this film, and it was frustrating because we get so few Toms in things like mm-hmm. despite it being like like one of those quintessential common names mm-hmm. i can count on one hand the number of toms i've actually met in my life hmm. yeah it's weird right. i admit it's weird i don't understand it either but it's what it is so uh laura starts aggressively hitting on these two guys with the intention of having a threesome phil is immediately aware and immediately down to clown right tom also- does not get anything Tom doesn't pick up on a hint of it. Phil has the attitude of, so you're bullshitting us? Like, I don't believe you. That's fair. Like, he, his, his response is just as much of an obstacle for Laura, but he at least is picking up what she's putting down. Oh, yeah, yeah. He at least sees it on the table. He is being a good guy and understanding, I need you to say it twice. Because... Right. You're maybe joking, maybe mm, just kind of playing I don't want to read this wrong and be don't a creep. I don't want to read it wrong and be a creep, but if you are, if I'm reading it right, I am on board. Yeah. But tell me it one mm. more time to be sure. Yeah. Okay, now that we're in agreement, let's explain it to this guy because he doesn't seem to get it. He has this, like, retro 90s mushroom cut like a fucking asshole. Yeah. Like somebody who went to Dollar Cuts and said, give me the Hanson. Ugh. And once he once it's explained explicitly to Tom that she that Laura wants a threesome, he still has to it still has to be explained to him. No homo. Yeah, like, and it, it's cool. Like if we're all consensually going somewhere to do things, yeah. you do the parts you like, and he says like, "Well, we've got to like map this thing out." As Andy Samberg, JT, and Lady Gaga so eloquently said, it's not gay if it's in a three-way. Huh. 
Have you never seen that clip? Nah. Oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> I still remember back in high school, I won't name the friend, but one of the guys I know um, was, he's, he, at lunch one day, he's just like, I don't think I could ever do a threesome with another dude. And a lot of the guys at the table, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's like, no, 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 like, no, I don't care about that. I just like, I really enjoy sex. And I know that if I was having sex and I saw a friend, I'd high five my friend because yeah. like, I'm having sex. and if I yeah. caught a friend of mine having sex, like good for you, buddy. And I want to high five my friend. And like, I'd worried that like, if me and one of my friends was, you know, if we were all like in a three way that like, we just keep high fiving and that would just get weird and dumb after a while. And like, I don't want to do that to somebody. It would get dumb. It would never be weird. Right. It but it was like, awesome. that was his take. I love that. Yeah. That's perfect. Because not for nothing. Tom, grow the fuck up. Yeah. You're, you're, you're having a three-way. Kiss the other guy. It's just going to turn the girl on more. And if not, well, then the girl was never actually into the three-way in the correct way. And so, you know, everybody, you know, you're just in, like, you know, a, 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 just a very low-number gangbang. Saying. Interesting differential, but I get it. Just saying. I can see that. Everybody needs to touch everybody. It's more fun that way. Anyway. So they we, we, we see, we've all seen the movie Society. Oh, <laughs> there's no limit as long as as long as you get hot and wet enough, there's no limit. <laughs> the shunting. God. That there's no plot to that movie. Like, I mean, yeah, okay, there's a plot. The kid doesn't understand, and he's trying to figure it out. Um, there's, there's no climax to that movie. Well, there's a... In spite of the fact of being an extended climax That's that the thing movie. is, that movie lacks a plot and, like, plot structure, including climax that yeah. in that way. Yes. But it's all thematically done. Yeah. So, like, while there's not a story, there is still a growth and evolution yeah. around the lack of a story. Yes. It's weird... It is a weird movie. I turned to say to the recorder, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but it's oh, of, it's a hell of a thing. You know, of like all the movies that are, uh, if not specifically directed by, but are predominantly led by a makeup effects artist, mm-hmm. I would say Society is the weakest in terms of story, but in terms of special effects, is amazing. Like Pumpkinhead has a story. Uh, the the Giver and yeah. like uh, Return of the Living Dead Three have a solid story, yeah. even though it's mainly just a vehicle for special effects. We just watched a Hellraiser that pulled it off. Yes, uh, that Same. one. The, the Judgment. The uh, Judgment uh, has a decent enough story, even though it's a vehicle for special effects. Society, it's like nothing until the end of that movie. But you need to you need to see it all to understand what the hell. There are other movies like that where it's like, yeah, everything else is fine, but it's really about this last ten minutes of the movie. Yeah, but you. Kinda but again, like you ring. need to see like the the ring. You need to see all of the ingredients on the table before you before you eat the dinner. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You said dinner in reference to society. Humble. Yeah, that's right. So. uh... Oh yeah! Of don't cor- don't eat while you're watching it. Don't eat while you're watching society. So of course we only we we see the aftermath of the purported threesome. Uh, do we get another Gordon Gina scene in the middle of that? 
I think okay. Yes, yes. we get uh, we cut over to them. Yeah. He's writing. She says, "What are you writing?" Um, he gives the vaguest of answers, but basically, I'm not writing about my father because that was a long time ago, and it's been written about enough. Maybe you should. You could make money. Well, we'll always be broke. Here, let me seduce you. Cool. And then that's that's the scene. Basically. And then we see Gina and her skivvies again. No nudity, but a lot of activity, mm-hmm. clo- like semi clothed. So credit where credits due. But also, you're in a Manuel movie. I was promised boobs. Right. Um, Tom goes to the bathroom, sees scratches all over himself, blames her. So I'm guessing Phil's not a scratcher. No, apparently. Well, he trims. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he, does, he, he looked. Phil he bites his nails. His he's he was a. He was a balding man, but it looks like he regularly did upkeep mm-hmm. on the sides and back. Yeah. I don't like. I mean, I, I yeah. let it. I like to let it. You know, you always look good. Ah, thank you. Yeah. But like I, it's a easier than having to shave my head every damn day, mm. and be like, yeah, I just kind of like the looking comfortable. I'm good. Yeah. But um, he's he looks like he cuts his hair every day yeah. as part of the routine. Sure. So his nails would definitely be yeah, yeah. down to the quick. Yeah. Tom goes off to the bathroom. Laura and Phil ha- do like a little uh, post-game summation. Laura invites Phil to f- possible future events under the express promise that Tom is never invited again because he is quote-unquote a wet noodle. Again, this does not represent Tom's N mask. Cannot stress this enough Yeah, without going into further mm-hmm. detail. But so Tom is in the bathroom examining his scratches in horror and disgust as uh, as if they're not badges of honor. Yeah, as if he's never been in middle school and tried to brag about a hickey or something. I'm saying, like, I'm Probably not saying, one, but. I'm not saying you got to brag about it by a hickey, but it's just like, hey, well, this is a thing that I got to do. Yeah. And somebody was having enough of a good time that now I have marks. And they'll go away. Yeah, and their marks, like marks are a sign of a life worth living. Yes. Um, in a different context, like growing up, I remember like any time one of us would like, you know, skin our knee or like, you know, break an arm or whatever. One of the uh, phrases or whatnot that my mom would throw around is, you know what? People without scars are boring. Yes. Or to quote uh, head canon Johnny Utah. Post point break, bones heal, chicks dig scars, glory lasts forever. Because if anybody's watching the replacements as if that is not Johnny Utah post Australia, mm-hmm. you're not watching the replacements correctly. Yeah, the replacements is such a great movie. It's a it's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. Yeah. Um, if you zoom in close enough, you might be able to see me. Oh really? Yeah, I did. Uh, I did like two months worth of extras work on that. Oh nice. That's where Where's I met that at, uh, at Raven Stadium. Okay, yeah, cool. it cool, was cool. like right after it had opened, and it was right after I moved back from New York, and I was just doing extras work on a bunch of movies. It was in Blair Witch Two nice. as a gothic Ute. What? Uh, Stretching your acting prop chops. I know, right? I had no black clothes to take to set that. Not movie. even a one. Uh, but yeah, we. we uh, bunch of us went set to set and like if we heard about another one we were like oh yeah well once this one wraps up let's go do we did replacements for two months nice um and then we did Cecil be demented 
Oh, cool. And that one, you don't even have to zoom in. If you pause at the right moment, there is a shot where you very clearly see my brother and I standing side by side. Oh, awesome. But me with hair, so you'll have to kind of adjust. I, I, I'd have to figure it out. I've never seen Cecil B. Demet. That's fun. It's there, there was fun. a period where we did not want anything to do with Stephen Dorff, regardless of who was behind the camera. Huh. And I know that, like, there is a reevaluation. Because even though I didn't, I didn't love season three of True Detective. I mm-hmm. was impressed with Stephen Dorff yeah. in that season, and he was very nice. Oh, good. Um, he was when he actually wound up dating our friend Cynthia for a little while. They met mm-hmm. on set. She got pulled aside because she was the right body type to be stand in for Melanie Griffith. Oh, cool. And then after that, like she had enough scenes with him that like they just hit it off and mm-hmm. went out for like I think six months or so. Word, yeah. Good for them. Yeah. So, uh, Laura is telling Phil that she that he is welcome for future things if future things happen. Tom is crying in the bathroom because he doesn't understand the feelings that have been awakened inside of him for Phil. And um, as he's worrying about everything, we get a ghastly, a ghostly apparition of Ronnie DeFeo in the back. And then, like, the minute Tom notices him... Uh, DeFeo disappears, which I thought, all things considered, the effect worked better than not. Better than not, considering what they had tra- been trying to pull off through yeah. the movie and all. Well, um, I was impressed that, like, like it's clearly a cut, but Tom is moving the entire time. So. And they find a match frame that works really well. It did. Yeah. And so I, I kind of dug it. Yeah. By the time you realize that it's been a, you know, a yeah. hard jump cut, yeah, you're like, well... The important thing I saw change was the ghost. Yeah, his arm being like half millimeter off. It really like it, the the fidelity between the two images like worked really well. Yeah, but so uh, Phil and Tom leave. Phil semi reluctantly. Uh, Tom very enthusiastically. Uh, they go into the car. The car will not start. Well, it's, we assume it's the car that won't start. Because I remember he was looking down and all of the references as he was talking about the car and all that, it looked like he was more looking at his lap, like... Tom was? No, uh, oh, Phil. It looked like Fiener was ba- Phil was basically saying, my wiener's broke. Oh. I don't know. It, was just like, it never does this at home, and mm. I think I just checked it, and like... Fair. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll it was, it. It was... We were entendring yeah. in some sort of double... <laughs> I want, like, I like the Barbie movie. I just, like, here's what okay. I think it was. I think they played into her being stereotypical Barbie just a little too much. And so she had, she is more of a cipher in that film than she should have been. Gotcha. I appreciate that she, it was a full cipher role. Fair. And we'll be very brief because most of you have probably seen this. We record these way ahead. Yesterday we did uh, Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer double feature. And I loved them both. You loved them both. I love them both. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's uh, not a question. But yeah, like I've been actively trying not to reference them mm. because I'm like, well, that's going to be like old news by the time we do this. It's probably going to be old news, but that's all we're going to say. But, oh my God. So good. So good. See them both if you haven't seen mm-hmm. them yet. See them both together if you can. Because that, that was a fun experience. Really it was a good time. We did Oppenheimer first. Obviously. And so Obviously. the second one has... It has a more upbeat energy. Yeah. It has, like, I couldn't imagine going the other direction. It's insane to go the other way. Yeah. But anyway. So, uh, so Phil gets out to check the car, and <laughs> the uh, 
the hood slams shut on Phil, which presumably kills him. Yeah. We don't know. Seems like. And uh, the uh, once the hood comes down, it is the grinning, maniacal face of Ronnie DeFeo. Mm-hmm. And Tom is screaming in horror. And then we never see Phil and Tom again. No. Um, but when he slams it down, it's not just his grinning face, but as his hands like let go of the hood... I swear to God, it looked like he was doing jazz hands. And I yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah it totally was. It's like, ah, look at you me. standing in death. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but fantastic. I'm, uh, I'm a sucker for jazz hands. You're not wrong. They're money. Yeah. This is, those aren't jazz hands. These mm-hmm. are jazz hands. They're, what, what is it? I've never seen Bring It On. What is the line? Oh, spirit fingers. Spirit fingers. Yes. Oh, okay, my bad, my yep. bad. Those are spirit fingers. These are spirit fingers. Mm-hmm. There's a difference. Spirit fingers, uh-huh. jazz hands. Ah. And for those of you listening at home, I hope you pictured it right. Yeah. I mean, I never know. Yeah. Because I'm a man. Now you're a man. A man, a man, a man. Now you're a man. So good. But anyway. Uh, now, so... Now that Laura has been seeing things for a little while, she, in earnest, tries to find the DeFeo relative to take the urn. She finds uh, Gordon on the 13th call. The 13th DeFeo. 13th call. It's not the 13th. Well, presumably 13th. I know. It's splitting hairs. Um, They have the one-on-one meeting, and then she says, I know a guy that teaches history, so let's make this his problem. Mm-hmm. Then we get to the full group <coughs> meeting of Gordon and his girlfriend, Gina, uh, or I'm assuming girlfriend, Gina, uh, Allie, Evan, and Laura. I'm going to back up just a hair because when she does contact him, she explains that she has the ashes of his father. Mm-hmm. She says, somehow they wound up on my doorstep. Yeah. That's... Stupid. That's terrible. You can't just, as a plot thing, say, somehow this thing happened. Anyway, let's move forward. Now, I grant that the movie did explain it and have a scene where they were delivered, and we got all the history, and that was just her using shorthand as a character. Yeah. It's not like the beginning of Rise of Skywalker, where they just waved the Emperor back. Somehow, the Emperor has survived. Anyway, moving on. (sighs) Like, this movie at least scripted better than Rise of Skywalker. Not an accomplishment. Not a high bar. Yeah. The movie's terrible. To quote Dick Smothers, that's not a compliment. Mm. Ah, The Smothers Brothers. (sighs) So good. So good. Um, But yeah, so I wanted to cover that. And then they had Oh, no, that was pretty funny. That was was funny and dumb. (laughs) And that was. um, Then they had another scene to plan a scene. And then they get uh, everybody together where they sit around and intellectually explain. How everything so far is completely commonplace and a coincidence and there is not anything actually weird. Like, for instance, your father killed people, so you may just have dreams with that knowledge. And you, um, you have been given ashes, so maybe you're going to have sex dreams. Or maybe you're in your 40s and you just like sex because you're a person. Well, they don't. They don't actually put it that way. They say you might be going crazy mm. or something like that. Hysterical, but even. I think you know what. <laughs> I think they missed using that word, or I would have written it down yeah. specifically. Oh, they could have. Oh no, they didn't use it, but they should have. They were thinking it now. Evans break and Evans' analysis of the situation and his breakdown of how all of these have rational explanations. 
Right. With that in mind. Go back to Amityville, The Next Generation. Remember Terry O'Quinn's character? The cop that turned out to be the paranormal Mulder cop? Mm -hmm. Rather than, like, Evan, who is not a cop at all, or a psychoanalyst at all, comes up with this very rational explanation for all of this. Mm -hmm. Terry O'Quinn's character, if you recall, well, I figure it's 50-50. Either... All, the kid is actually going to be possessed by some ghostly apparition, and this will further the, our research into the paranormal. Or, he's congenitally insane, and he's going to murder all of his friends and family, and we'll see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. Evan is a better character than Terry O'Quinn's mm-hmm. character. He is trying to help, and he is taking the real-world opinion of, let's tap the brakes and not jump to the craziest conclusion. Yeah. But also, I am a history teacher. I'm not a priest. I'm not a shaman. I'm not. He gives yeah. a list of like, you're all coming to me as the guy who apparently has read a book. Yep. It's it's very much like, oh Jesus, how stupid are these people? What am I doing here? Which not for nothing. If we didn't have confirmation before, now we know for a fact in this meeting that this is L.A. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that the only smart and reasonable person in the room is going to have some difficulty. Yes. So, since it's a democracy, the five other people say, Evan, all that is well and good. We're going to a psychic. Uh-huh. And so they enlist Gina, who finally has something to do other than take her shirt off, which, again, was wonderful. Um, and she visits her estranged cousin, Janet, is so estranged because all of her family wrote her off as a flaky, crazy person that didn't want to have anything to do with her. Right. Now, this completely shunned... We're, I'm expecting, like, Eartha Kitt and Ernest Scared Stupid. Sure. Like, um, living in a shack. Know, birds living oh in her hair. She's in a shack talking to squirrels. Yeah. Like, and it turns out she just lives in a nice house yeah. and dresses... Like somebody paid to dress like an anime fan for a convention. She lives at Cla- she works at a Claire's. Yeah, but she has um, she like has stick yeah. on beads. Yeah, I basically like I uh, mentioned that she looks like Ashley O if she went through a Madonna phase. She's got a pink wig, very much a wig, not dyed what? hair. She wears she wears a pink wig. Yeah. She has a necklace that's got a charm on it. Oh no! And she yeah she has little like. Jules kind of half glued to her forehead. It's like it, it's stick on bedazzled type of stuff, right? And she, but, owns, but makeup stuff. Yeah. It's not like it's not being used incorrectly. It's just right. stick on stuff. But it's not like you know she got any like body modifications done. She doesn't have like piercings lining her yeah, jaw. No, or no, 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 no. And she owns no tattoos. A cat. And she owns a, a cat. one. And it, I like it was essentially like when we see her it's like the part in not another teen movie when Chris Evans sees the girl that he has to do the makeup for it's like oh she's got glasses mm-hmm. and a ponytail she's got paint all over her overalls how am I supposed to make her the prom queen <laughs> it's like how is she supposed to be like a sane person that's gonna help us oh my god what kind of person buys a pink wig and wears it around the house this movie's terrible nutball this movie's terrible she immediately says, uh, fuck you. Uh, and when she... Actually, no. The first thing she says is great. Because Gina is like, hey, can I come in? And uh, Janet says, what do you want? 
And it's everything, like, I couldn't believe that the movie just didn't have them just say, well, if you let me in, I can explain what I want. That's yeah. why I'm here. Because, you know, apparently, uh, Gina says earlier that she does, that was part of the setup, is that she doesn't have a phone or a car. Right. And so that's part of the, the like, like, the Eartha kit. And nobody Eartha walks scene. in L.A. They can't. Yeah, there's a whole song about 30 it. miles away yeah. from everything else. It's insane. Even driving traffic is great. Actually, you'd probably get there faster if you walked. <gasps> That'd open up congestion. Well, there was that commercial that apparently was very environment. The car commercial that was like, like accidentally a big environmentalism commercial, mm-hmm. like completely unintentionally and hilariously. But anyway. Uh, and I just spotted a note. We have to hop back a scene for when uh, they're talking about all the explaining things. Yeah. And one of the scary, weird things that's discru- discussed is oh, Laura. Laura explains that she's having a. Yeah. Horny, she's like, I'm having a horny break. No, no, no. She says, I've been super horny all the time. Oh, right. And I've been that, super horny all the time. And Allie, on the end of the couch, legitimately starts cracking up. Yeah. Like the actress starts yeah. laughing. And she should, because uh, the, the I think her name's Dawn something, the actress playing mm-hmm. Laura. The delivery is so perfectly deadpan. I've been super horny all the time. Mm-hmm. And this was like the conclusive moment that I realized that if this had just been a straight porno movie with the same script, it would have worked. Because every, like, the dialogue usually isn't that much better, and all the problems have a sexy solution. Right. But, like, the break is absolutely noticeable and hysterical. It's so good. But luckily, continuity-wise, for the next scene, like the next shot that featured Allie, she's still smiling and still, like, not entirely over it. Yeah. So, like, it worked. (laughs) They kept in the continuity of it. They didn't just say, like, oh, shit. It's a great little moment. It's like, I've been super horny all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. And I I felt bad because I wanted to go back and look at uh, Allie's other reactions, but consistently they're forward. She had been good through the whole thing, but like her always act, even when you're not giving dialogue, she was doing it, or sometimes I guess even not doing it, but she was always worth keeping an eye on because like she was listening to what was going on in the scene. She's always acting. And like she had other places where like the expression on her face sold it more than anything else. Again, I really kind of liked the people make like same, in front same. of the camera. All yeah. my complaints about this movie are behind the camera. Yeah. And uh, the actress playing Allie, uh, per the closing credits, okay. was all over behind the scenes, like uh, script supervisor, production assistant, like a very. Yeah involved part of the production. This was definitely like all of the actors are part of a troupe making this movie. Right. But much unlike the la- last week with the uh, Ghosts of Amityville, these are people that are semi-professional at least. Like Maybe. they have they have some training that or, or they're talented amateurs. They've at least been in, in or around productions to see what goes on. Yeah. Like they knew that you had to do lighting. <laughs> which Speaking nice. of which, oh, we'll get there. Uh, well, okay, yeah, oh, I so, we were here. yeah, we're here because like somehow Gina convinces Janet to come uh, under the express condition that if anything should happen to Janet, that Gina will take in Janet's cat and treat her as if she's her uh, Janet's cat. Yeah, as long as we don't all die, in which case the cat doesn't. I mean, have anybody? That's sad. That's the cat's problem like that. at that point. Still, that's just the world, baby. So they're all gathered at. Uh, at Laura's, Laura's apartment, yeah, Laura's house, 
and the lighting is blue. Blue. Like, you're on a bus in, in the Mouth of Madness, blue. Everything is blue, 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 except, except for Janet's the pink hair. parts. Except for Janet's hair. Janet's hair and little micro spots and key lights of pink mm. on the couch or on the background. But the entire thing, and this is, again, I have to bring up the fact that we watched Barbie yesterday. Mm-hmm. Barbie was more judicious about its use of pink and blue. Yes. That movie was solid. It was, it was amazing. It was, it was a freaking miracle. This is a good But movie. this, when I can say that they yeah. showed better restraint on yeah, pink okay. and blue in the Barbie movie, it's, it's much. It's, it's much, much. And this is where I, I, at this point, I was actively transforming a Transformer. Because yeah. it just, for fuck's sake, just end this movie. All right. There's so, 10 minutes that go on for 20. So we we start the uh, the seance we'll go with quote unquote yeah because they discuss like maybe we bury it maybe we do other things they say like five things that could probably work yeah but they do a seance where they form a circle that's about as much of a circle as the last supper it's just a line it's a line it's a line they're not even in a half circle yeah like it's so annoying and like the blocking of it doesn't make any sense because well number one we don't get we don't have we only have five people in frame yeah, of like, the six. Of the six. And it's blocked just enough so one person is mostly cut off the side. Yeah. And it'll drift back and forth because they're like, oh, shit, she's got a line. So they have to start cheating it over. Mm-hmm. But, like, you could have just pulled the camera back a foot and gotten everybody. Yes. Or pushed the actors back a foot. And there was definitely room for that. Or we could have had... Uh, Gordon and Laura, the two most directly affected people, actually be next to the psychic mm-hmm. so that we could just focus on the three people that are really necessary in the sequence at this given moment. Yeah. But so it's not working well. And like any trained psychic, uh, Janet immediately blames it on the non-believer because, oh, it's not that I don't have the ability to call forth paranormal powers. Mm-hmm. It's because one person doesn't believe in it. Unfortunately, Evan doesn't believe in it. Yeah. So, but he's been upfront about that. So he's and, like, "Yeah, I got you. I'll go hang in the kitchen," which he does. And so they tighten the shot on the group so that now they're still cutting somebody out of the side of the frame for no reason. It was infuriating. Yeah. But so it finally the uh, the seance finally starts working, and that's when we see the. Fairly ornate, nice design on the urn that, for some reason, we just didn't want to show. I wonder if it's a logo. It may be a logo. Um, But it falls over, and the ashes start, you know, not doing anything, because I can't stress this enough. There's no budget for anything in this movie. No. Uh, But then, all of a sudden, Evan starts wigging out, and he has become possessed by Ronnie DeFeo. Mm -hmm. And his face is kind of... A little bloodyish, yeah. and he's doing this air guitar thing that looks mm-hmm. sort of like he's trying to be possessed. Yeah, but it's, it definitely looks like it's silly. Like Bill and Ted apparently were being possessed. If this is what possession looks it like, it looks like when they possess the uh, the dad and the other. Couple. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. excellent. It, yeah, that's what it looked like. It did, and so. That's why we realized that Ronnie had been played by Evan the entire time. Yeah. Like, there's no other... Nobody else is credited... No one is credited as Ronnie DeFeo in the film. Yeah. So, it's just... Evan has been playing him the whole time. And 
It was kind of fun to realize that the most boring human being in the film, outside has of the Tom, evil, evil. has been the guy chewing the scenery in every other scene that he's mm-hmm. had, which, good for you, buddy. Yeah. Kind of uh, brought us back around on yeah. A little bit. Like, uh, but then it's just, once again, we're stuck in a situation where it's like, okay, we need a climactic confrontation, but we can't break anything in the house, stain anything, mar any walls. Or do any stunts. Mm-hmm. So what they do is um, they decide we're going to go Elm Street rules. Oh, we pulled him into a physical form in the real world, I guess, which was the goal. Sure. Like, so that if they were doing a seance, they wanted to summon him? Or now, the, now that the plan has happened, they have it. You know, in their defense, at the end of The Evil Dead 2. Uh-huh. I only recited the first part of the passage, which made the demon, the demon, a, de- uh, a being of the flesh. It's like, okay, we'll do the other part now. What are we waiting for? Right. So they do this by beating the fuck out of him. They just beat him up. They're like, well, we've got it. And somebody even says, what about Evan? And they're just like, meh. Yeah. And uh, for anyone who's <laughs> ever seen the cartoon uh, Rejected, it looks like the second half of Silly Hat Club. Or for people that have seen movies that have that other people have seen, it's imagine the part in Office Space where they're beating up the printer. That too, that too. But I guarantee you, a lot more people have seen Rejected than you're giving credit. That's fair. It's, no, no, I'm yeah. just trying to make fun. Yeah, like I have a sticker. I need to put on my car from it, but it's don't put stickers on your car. This would be the one. Um, don't. Just, it's literally just I am a banana and I'm good. It's just. The thing about bumpers about bumper stickers is that regardless of what is actually written on them, they all say the same thing. Don't ever talk to me. I think I want that on my car. Because it's not worth your while. I'm still mm-hmm. fine with that on my car. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, they beat the living shit out of Evan, and based on the fact that he's not seen again in the movie, pretty much they killed him. Yeah, they, they had they, they, they killed, killed Evan. And, and then we got a title to card. Six months later. <laughs> January 1975. I swear to fucking God. <laughs> so they're all, it's all of our main characters just sitting around having minus beers. Seven. Minus seven. <laughs> and, uh, and they literally, so I, I'm glad that's all behind us. Or no, so I think that is all behind us. Yeah, like just, a- Allie mentions that she's no longer, like her and Bob aren't dating anymore. And Bob misses his friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but apparently there's like no police or anything involved no, in this. We killed a dude and we got away with it. Yep. Laura and Gordon <laughs> feel okay about everything and apparently Gina and Gordon are doing better than they have mm-hmm. in God knows how long. And it's like that first Kids in the Hall skit from that uh, on HBO um, comic relief mm-hmm. of man you really just don't know a guy until you beat him to death drive him out in the middle of nowhere and bury him. Yeah. Like, they don't even give us lip service as to what they did with Evan. Not a, not a bit. They just say, literally, six. it says, six months later, Yeah. well, I think we're all past that. I think we're good. Think How's we're good. about it? You know, winesies? Winesies. And uh, Gordon says that he's going to go take a leak. And Laura says, well, hurry, the pizza is coming. Mm-hmm. Because, again, they're adulting. Yes. Uh, they are... They are all, by the way, five besties now. Even admitting it's a shame how we all met. Yeah. Because literally just about everybody in that room met through murder. Through this this incident that ended in murder. Yeah. And 
now they're all hanging out and having a pizza night. The pizza... Um, Gordon goes to take a leak and we follow yeah. him because yeah. we needed something in lieu of the complete lack of driving scenes. Right. And he hears it's ghostly back back. Asper, asper, aspirations. Oh. Aspirations, rather. It's like, but yeah, you literally. It was a subtitle. Yeah. I loved it. But he says, I've got to pee and. I've got to take a leak. Or I've got to take a leak. And then Janet, or, uh, Laura literally says, The pizza's going to be here in a minute in like response to nothing. To it's, hurry. To hurry, the pizza's got to be cold it by didn't the time feel you like that. Pizza. It felt like we're just throwing expository lines out. Let's. It, it doesn't have to sound like people anymore. If it ever did, it never did. No. So on his way back from the bathroom, uh, they hear a ding dong at the side entrance of the house for some reason. Uh-huh. It's not the front door. No, and uh, who is it? But Taylor Negron. Oh my god! Uh, classic pizza delivery guy from Fast Times at Ridgemont mm-hmm. High and Vamps. God damn it. All movies need Taylor Negron. R.I.P. R.I.P. Uh, but so Gordon opens the door and says, you got to be kidding me. And it's Ronnie DeFeo back with the with the pizza. And he's doing he's doing everything short of finger guns at the camera. Yeah. He's like, yay! Ah! And then closes with the line. Delivered in a garbage day from Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, like kind of enthusiasm. Make room for daddy! Oh my god. The end. Credits, which featured no less than seven appearances of Louis DiStefano. And I would say almost as many for Linda Wong, who played Allie. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's the unsung hero of this movie. I mean, if there is one. This movie sucked. Not thrilled with it. Also, we did have such an amazing double feature yesterday. I mean, I it's not that. It's it's not. I oh, mean, I know. I we, watching, we always have I, better things to do on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, I was watching Goodfellas earlier this morning, but I'm not comparing it to Goodfellas. I'm not comparing it to anything because it's just terrible. Uh, there are funny parts. Uh, I think I've enjoyed talking about it much more than actually watching it. I think that's the podcast in a nutshell. Yeah. But yeah, resale for this is zero. They're like they're not maybe a fraction ha- more happens in this movie than say Ghosts of Amityville, but it really like towards the end of the movie it becomes shockingly clear how little they can actually do for a climax. Mm-hmm. And so they basically almost have nothing. The script feels like somebody recorded the discussion of what the movie should be. Okay, why don't you go and write it? And then he just transcribed that meeting. Yep. And then it ended. Mm-hmm. And so with nary a boob, which I knew there wasn't going to be any boobs in this movie. Not even an Emmanuel. Not an even Emmanuel. Not even yeah. an Emmanuel. Not even like Hire a poster somebody. for the TV series Webster. Oh. I know it's it's the bait and switch, but it still would have. Oh, Check that box. Well, with that happy thought, get out. If you want to interact with us online, you can check us out on Instagram or Twitter at Amityville Show, or you can send us an email at podcastamityville at gmail.com. <laughs>